I would like to share with you something that I felt I should share with you last week, and then the Lord changed his plan. By the way, good to see you, mate. How are you? <laughs> and, um, and I feel um, very much uh, for a few weeks, um, many of you have been asking questions, whether it was in our Bible study or our prayer meeting or just um, when we have been uh, in, in, in contact, just chatting about the Lord, chatting about the Bible. And I want to talk to you today about the Holy Spirit. Okay, I will not give you a lecture on the Holy Spirit. I will not give you a, a theological um, exposition. I want to give you a very practical um, message about the Holy Spirit. Okay, so please come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 20. Sorry, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 to 11. I will be reading from the New King James Version. I don't know what Chema is going to um, show us today. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, thank you, Chema, for that. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 11, although I will make an emphasis on verse 4 today. Are you guys with me? If you got it, say amen. If you don't, say mercy, help. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, so 1 Corinthians 12. It says, now, concerning spiritual gifts, that's the word, spiritual gift, there is a word in, in, the, in the Greek, which is pneumaticon, which means spiritual things, spiritual stuff, spiritual gifts. It's been translated here in the, New King, in the New King James Version. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. This is, this is a very bold opening. He doesn't want the church, he doesn't want the brethren to be ignorant about what he's going to be talking about in, 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 the, in the next few verses. He says, you know that you were Gentiles, carried away to those dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What is he saying here? The Holy Spirit and Jesus, they work together. All right? You cannot go against the Holy Spirit if you are truly Jesus. And you cannot do anything that Jesus uh, disagree if you are living according to the Spirit. This Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus, they work together. They are one, if you like. Okay? Now, verse 4, look at this. There are diversities, diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And verse 6, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Now, think about that. Verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6. I actually highlighted in different colors. He says, there are diversities of gifts. That's the word charismaton or charismata comes from um, uh, charisma, which is uh, a gift from the Spirit. There is different kinds of gifts or charismas, but the same Spirit. I have colored that in blue for some reason. Blue, I think about the Holy Spirit, I think about blue. I don't know why. So there are differences of ministries. This is diaconia or you know, an act of service. There are differences in ministries, but the same Lord. So we talk the Spirit, and we talk about the Lord now. And that I highlighted in red. And verse 6 says, And there are diversities of activities. Activities. But it is the same God 
who works all in all. And I have put that in green. So we have gift, ministries, and activities. And we have spirit, same Lord, and the same God. So we have a Trinitarian approach about this thing that the Apostle Paul is about to introduce us. He's going to teach us, right? Now, let's look to verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. This is not for us to brag. This is not for us to compare ourselves with others. This is, not, this is for the edification of the church, right? For the profit of all. I love that. Of all. Which means that when we are using the gift of the Holy Spirit, not only a few will be blessed, but all will be blessed. This is, this is major. This is for the edification of the body of Christ. And then the Apostle Paul goes and gives us the, 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 the list of nine gifts, the gift of the Spirit, um, according to 1 Corinthians 12. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gift of healings by the same Spirit, to the, another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege we have to be here today. Whether we are here physically or we are here virtually, Lord, we thank you that we can come together and that we can study your word together. Lord, I pray that your spirit of revelation will speak to our hearts today and we will be able to leave this room today, Lord, with a fresh understanding of who you are and your purposes for our lives. Lord, we love you. We need you. And Holy Spirit, we ask you, as we talk about you, that you will lead us to the right conclusion, Lord. Lord, we need you tonight, today, and we ask you this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Now, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6 is talking about gifts, ministries, and activities. It's talking about the Spirit, it's talking about the Lord, it's talking about God. You see? Now, for those of you who are involved in our Bible study, we are going through, for through the last th th few weeks, we have been talking about, um, we are going through a, a chronology of the Bible. The importance of putting all the events of the Bible in chronological order, right? Chronological means, you know, in, in, in a systematic order through time. Um, in, in, the, in, the, in the Greek language, we have two words mainly for time. One is chronos, which means you know, seconds, minutes, hours is order in time. And then there's also kairos, and kairos is an event. Okay, the Hebrews, they love kairos. They like the experience, the event. David killing Goliath was a key moment, a key kairos. But for us, the Greek mentality, the Europeans, we like chronology, right? We like our watch, and we like Pastor Martin not to preach too long. Right? Because we got the turkey ready or the roast dinner or whatever it is that we have to do. <laughs> I'm getting hungry now. And, uh, and we like our time. And we don't want people to not respect our time. We, we like to show up in time. And we like people to be there in time. Isn't it? It's important. Time is important for us. I come from a culture where the watch is purely decoration. All right? 
You said 10 o'clock, we show up at 10.30. Well, I was always a weird cat. I, I like to be 10 minutes earlier, but most people, warm climate cultures, we, you know, we, you know, this is just a rough idea. Okay, you know, roughly we should be arriving at that time, and we drive the British crazy, and, and we love to do that, actually. Uh, but, uh, but, <laughs> but the amazing thing is, we have different, um, different um, understandings of time. For, let's say, an African culture, I have a lot of African friends, you know, the event is the important thing. Not when we show up or when we finish, it's just to have a great time. Um, for other people, time has to be very, uh, very orderly, right? Now, when we talk about the chronology of the Bible, we will realize that uh, we can miss certain um, jewels, certain um, amazing experiences and understanding because the Bible is not put in order in a chronological manner. For example, if you think about um, the Old Testament, right? When we have the major and the minor prophets, what is that? That they were more important than the others? No, it's talking about the amount of written material. So the, 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 the major um, prophets, they are the ones that wrote most, right? And then you have the minor prophets, which were as important as the major prophets, but they wrote something a bit smaller. It's the same thing for, for the New Testament. For example, the letters of the Apostle Paul, which is what we are reading today, they are put in order according to size, not to chronology. And I want to reveal something to you which I think is very important because I think this text that we have read today, 1 Corinthians 12, is one of the most important texts for the church today. Because the church is still ignorant, in big time, about the things of the Spirit. We have a lot of people talking a lot about the Father, a lot of people talking a lot about Jesus and making a big importance on Jesus, but we are ignoring the Holy Spirit many times. I think we, the Pentecostal church or the charismatic churches, we are trying to, to, to make an emphasis on the Holy Spirit, but big time in, 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 the, in the Christian world, the, the Holy Spirit is being ignored. We have that, for example, in our, in our creeds. We believe in God the Father, Creator, and we have a whole explanation about who the Father is. And we believe in the Holy, we believe in the Son, born of the Virgin Mary, and blah, blah, blah. And we give all this information about, about Christ for a few lines. And then we say, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's the end of the creed. And we are like, what? It doesn't matter which creed you use. It's like that. And we believe in the Holy Spirit. And a big vacuum. And the Apostle Paul is here saying to us, Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant about the Holy Spirit. Now, you know I spoke to you many times about the different places where the New Testament talks about the Holy Spirit. We have in Romans chapter 12, and we have the charismata gift, the, the charis or charismata gift, which means the gift of grace given from God to his church, to his people, for the edification of one another. So we have that list in Romans chapter 12. Then we have 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is the Apostle Paul talking about the gift of the Spirit, and he's giving us these nine gifts. And then finally, we have another list given, given to us in Ephesians chapter 4, and he's talking about the, the, five, the fivefold ministries, the apostles, the uh, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, right? 
Are you guys with me? So we have three different lists of gifts. There are actually five different places, but this, these are the three main lists. There's also, uh, at the end of Romans chapter 12, um, it's, it's like uh, the Apostle Paul is making like a summary, and he's throwing all different kinds of gifts from different lists. And also in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter of love, there's also the mention of some uh, gifts there. Um, also, obviously, in, in, 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 14. But the most amazing thing is that the, if you think about the three main list of gifts that the Apostle Paul is talking about, we get them in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. And they're actually fitting very well into these verses, verse 4, 5, and 6. We are talking about gifts, we are talking about ministries, and we are talking about activities. Activities that, the, that God produces in us, hospitality, um, uh, for example, service, uh, um, administration. These are gifts that are given by God for, to each, each, of, each, of, each and every one of us so we can edify the church. Then we have, in, in verse 4, we have the gift of the Spirit. I do believe that these gifts are extreme, the gift of power, give, give very, very important uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. But then we have also the gift of, of ministry, the, the diaconia, the ministries of the Lord, which is Ephesians 4. And the Bible describes them as the gift that, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to the church, making for the first time the gift to be a person. Apostles are presents from Christ to the church. Prophets are presents from Christ to the church, as well as evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They are a human being that has gone through the meal so God can use him and be a blessing to others. That's why it's so important for us to pray for our, our leaders because they are a present from Christ to us so we can grow and we can be blessed. Now, the amazing thing about this and the reason why I'm saying that this, this uh, chapter of the Bible is so important is because I do believe that the Apostle Paul is using this as an introduction to develop his theology on the Holy Spirit, which is called pneumatology. Pneuma means spirit or air. So his pneumatology, which is his theology on the Holy Spirit, starts, in my opinion, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because although you may say, well, he speaks also in Romans about that, and Romans is before this book, right? Romans is before 1st and 2nd Corinthians, right? And then we have Ephesians, which is way, way back in, in, in the list of gifts. But the funny thing is that 1st Corinthians was the first book to be written out of these three. And it was written in, in Paul's third missionary journey, and it's believed that it was written approximately in, in, in year 54, right? Then at the end of that third missionary journey, the Apostle Paul wrote, um, he wrote Romans, which was in year 56, two years later. So, and then in, first, in, 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 in Paul's first um, Roman imprisonment, he was in prison a few times, but in the first time he was in prison in Rome, he wrote the prison letters. And among the prison letters is the book of Ephesians, which was written approximately on 61. Five years after Romans, seven years after 1 Corinthians. So, what the Apostle Paul is saying here, he starts 1 Corinthians 12 with this amazing teaching. He's saying, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant about the Holy Spirit. And he will take seven years to develop the full doctrine. 
So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he opens up and he starts talking about the gift of the Spirit. To live in the Spirit, to be able to, to be led by the Holy Spirit to do wonderful signs and wonders to edify the church. And he was saying especially, especially prophesying. Because in the three lists, prophecy is all involved. It's the only gift that appears in the three lists, being prophetic. Speaking, declaring the word of God. There is at some point where he's talking about, are they all apostles? Are they all prophets? Do they all teach? And you may say, wait a second, wait a second. He's missing too. Where are the evangelists and where are the pastors? Where? They are prophetic too. The, when the Holy Spirit came in Pentecost in chapter, chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, what happened for the first time? The Holy Spirit came, they started speaking in tongues. And what happened? Those tongues were prophetic. Those tongues were proclaiming in different languages, about 15 different languages, the wonders of God. And 3,000 people got saved and baptized on the same day. You see, the evangelist is, is, a, is the proclamation, the charisma, not charisma, charisma, which means the proclamation of the gospel. The book of Acts is full of charismatic uh, sermons, which is a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same thing with the pastor. Every time I stand here or anyone that, that declares the and is preaching the word of God, that's prophetic. You see, prophetic is not only to talk about the future in a mystical way. Someone is speaking in tongues and all of a sudden, oh, someone gets a bit mystical. Oh, that's a prophecy. No, prophetic is every time we open our mouth and we declare the wonders of God. Hallelujah. When we worship, we are being prophetic. We are worshiping God. We are telling God from the bottom of our hearts, worshiping in our spirit about the wonders of who he is. So I do believe with all my heart that the Apostle Paul is here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's opening up something. And he says, I'm going to talk to you about verse 4 first, about the gifts given by the same Spirit. But in two years' time, he spoke about verse 6, the activities of of God. And then five years later after that, or seven years before the first uh, speech, if you like, he will write in Ephesians chapter 4 about the ministries of the Lord, the fivefold ministries. And I told you I will not be, I don't want to give you a lecture, although it may, it may sound like a bit of a lecture because I'm giving up a lot of information. I want to be very real with you today. We need the Holy Spirit. The core of, of, of the Apostle Paul theology was the importance for the church to operate in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because if not, the church is, 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 is anemic. It's, it ha doesn't have energy. You know, we run like, oh, goodness me, this is so hard. I remember going to churches sometimes, you know, you go to churches to preach and sometimes you get, you know, those characters, at, 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 you know, sometimes come and talk to you and, oh, brother, how are you, type of thing, Oh, how are you? Brother, how good to see you. Good to see you. Oh, you know, Christian life is so hard, isn't it? It's, we are enduring. You know, you get those, those characters. Oh, you know, oh, to be a Christian. Oh, man, it's, it's so hard. We have to give up so many things. And I like to talk to these people and say, no, brother, the Christian life is not difficult. The Christian life is impossible. It's impossible. It's an impossibility without the Holy Spirit. 
If we don't have the Holy Spirit, our supposed to be Christian life is only a reflection of what it could be. Because it's the Holy Spirit, the dynamizer, is the one who, who brings the fire, is the one who brings the, 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 the movement, the energy to keep us going. If you think about a machine, you need, you need power, you need a spark for the machine to start working, isn't it? If you think about a boat, a sailing boat, you need the pneuma, you need the air, you need the wind of the Holy Spirit to move that. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes us active and move. Hallelujah. We don't need, we don't need books of self-help, you know. What we need is a book of revelation because motivation will take you f so long, but revelation will activate something in you. Hallelujah. I feel like preaching today. I don't have my wife here to tell me not to shout. It's important, guys, because it is the Holy Spirit who activates us. Hallelujah. I want to be practical. We need the Holy Spirit. So many of you said, Manuel, you know, what about the Holy Spirit? I don't fully understand what's, what's going on. Still today, some of you are confused about the Holy Spirit. And that's okay because it's not an easy matter. But the Apostle Paul is giving us instructions about us understanding about the Holy Spirit. Let me just please one more time. I know that some of you may be fed up with this. Let me share an, the way my dad taught me. I don't, have not found in all my years of studying a better example. I was a kid. I heard about this Holy Spirit thing all the time. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And one day I said, Dad, what is that whole Holy Spirit stuff? What is the Holy Spirit? Do I have the Holy Spirit? What do I have to do to get the Holy Spirit? And my dad, we were in the kitchen, and my dad took a glass of water, and he took a jar, a transparent jar of water, a glass jar of water. And he took the empty glass. One day I'm going to do it here, like a, like a science experiment, right? Although I'm going to wet the carpet. He took the glass, and he says, Manuel, when we come to Christ, this is what happens. And then he filled up the glass with the water. Like when you fill a glass when you're about to drink. So it's basically full, really. I learned this in Scotland. If you, you know, if you, if you, if you, <laughs> if you're going to give someone a cup of tea or coffee, you better have it at the very top. And you go to Costa, for example, you get a coffee, you cannot even move. That thing is full, isn't it? So I thought, well, you know, my understanding is just at least, at least a finger less, so you can just walk around with that thing not so full, right? A pastor friend of mine, Pastor Paul from Inverness, came to my house one day. He wanted a coffee or a tea. So, you know, I have to go from the kitchen to my living room, so that would, you know, that's a few steps. So, you know, I put, you know, not completely overflowing, just almost full. And I bring him down, I bring it, there you go, Paul. And he says, oh, the tide is down, the tide is down. Yeah, Paul, if you're listening, you better get this. You know? So I realized, you know, it's so important to have the, the glass completely full. Anyway, I'm, I'm just going some other way. But anyway, the importance of, he, he says, if you want the Holy Spirit, you need to fill up the glass. The Holy Spirit will fill up the glass. When you get saved, you get, you get your glass full. You're ready, to, you're ready to drink. And I said, great. I understand that. So every single person that is saved, Every single person that is born again, if you invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart after you have repented from all your sins and you ask Jesus Christ to come and clean you from all your sins, automatically the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Yes, he says. 
It's like you are an empty glass and you're asking God to come into you. That's what happened. Hallelujah. Thank you. I got him. I got the Holy Spirit. And what is that thing about the fullness of the Spirit, Dad? When people talk about the rivers of living water, you know, and you feel like, whoa, something is happening here. What is that, Dad? And my dad took the jar, and then he keep on filling that full glass of water at the point that the glass was overflowing. And water was coming in. It's good that my mom wasn't around. Water was all over the floor. And I'm like, Dad, Dad, okay, you know, get the picture. Take it easy. And he's, no, this is, this is what the overflow of the Holy Spirit is. It's like the, the Holy Spirit, you know, just continues blessing you, blessing you more than you can contain. It's overflowing that glass. And I'm like, wow, wonderful. I didn't even know that you could get even fuller glass than a full glass, apart from Scotland, of course. And then I said that, and then I have another question. So if, if this is to have the Holy Spirit, and if this is to be full of the Holy Spirit, what is it to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? And he took that glass overflowing with water, and he threw the, the full glass inside the jar. And basically the, the glass almost disappeared. It was a clean glass and a clean jar, and you could hardly see the glass floating doing all kinds of things. And he says, son, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is not when you got the Holy Spirit, it's when the Holy Spirit got you. This is the, all the theological explanation I needed. It's not about you having the Holy Spirit, it's about the Holy Spirit having you. And the Holy Spirit is such a gentleman that he will not force his way in. Like Jesus doesn't force his way in, he knocks at the door. And if you hear his voice, you open and he will come and dine with you. The same with the Holy Spirit. He is able to come into your life in different steps and experiences. Are you guys with me? If you are a born-again believer, you have the Holy Spirit. If you, not if you grew up in church. It's like if you sit all day in a garage, it doesn't make you a car, is it? You can sit here all day, it doesn't make you a Christian. If you have invited Jesus Christ to your heart because you know that you are a sinner and you need a Savior and He has provided that through the cross, then you can come to Him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I repent from my sins. Lord, I want to turn 180 degrees. Some people say, we have to turn 360 degrees. Don't do that. You're going to be in the same place. All right? 360 degrees, you're going that way and then you're doing this and you're going the same way again. We need 180 degrees, which means I was going in that direction, and now all of a sudden I'm going in that direction. I was going to hell. I'm going to heaven now. You, you understand the picture? So when we say, Lord, I, I repent from my sins. I re repent means I will not do them again. The Apostle Paul says the things that were important for me in the past, now they are, you know the word, rubbish. The things that were important for me, my status, my, my, my prestige, my, my, my pride, I leave all that behind for the love of Christ. Hallelujah. What a determination. I don't care anymore what people think about me. I don't even care what I think about myself. I'm in Christ. And in Christ, I'm hidden. In Christ, my identity is hidden in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is saying here, I don't want church 
I don't want you to be ignorant about the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I don't want you to be ignorant. Because the way that you will live the Christian life, if you want to really know what to be a Christian is, in its fullness, I, I mean to say. I don't mean the respect for people that are in a different place. But if you want to experience the fullness of what is available, it's about a life in the Spirit. And a life of holiness. That's what the Spirit does. And holiness means to be set aside, set apart for a specific purpose. I had this conversation with Mick this week. Wasn't it Mick? We'll have a grand, wonderful time talking about these things. Holiness means to be set aside for a specific purpose, for the glory of God, as a clean vessel. Hallelujah. So that's wonderful, isn't it? So some of you are praying at the moment for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know that three or four people in this room are praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's a wonderful thing. You see, we Pentecostals, we believe that the external evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. And some of you are crazy to start speaking in tongues, aren't you? Because that's the proof. Remember, it's not about you having it. It's about him having you. But let me share another testimony. I was a teenager, and I was crazy for the Holy Spirit, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I shall say, which is that teaching that my dad gave me. And I started praying, and I started, I started praying. And I remember going to every single conference. I was, I, was, I don't know, 12, 13 Every single conference, I will go to the front. People will pray for me. And I will feel the Holy Spirit moving. I will feel those rivers of living water going up and down. And I feel my, how you call it, goose span. Lord, I could feel it. I could feel the presence of God all over the place. And I will feel, you know, my, my mouth and my tongue, you know, like funny. Like when you go to the dentist and they put that thing and you're like, you're going to talk well for a couple of hours, Right? Sure, what's going on here, Lord? Well, that sort of thing, I feel my tongue, you know, like, and then they, <laughs> under the influence of anesthetic or something, right? And I just felt something was going on, and, and something was taking over, and I will hold it. I'm very rational. I'm very analytic. I will hold it. I then want my emotions to take the best of me. That only happens when I preach. And I will hold it. And I, been, I was holding that for a, about a year and a half. About a year and a half. And one day I came up to this uh, preacher, evangelist, and I, and I came and said, I, I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he says, are you kidding me? You got him all over you. You've just been scared. He says, just open your mouth and worship. That, that's the advice that I, I'm giving you today. Just open your mouth and worship. And I did so. And I just opened my mouth. And it's like all that fear, all that pressure automatically left me. And I just opened my mouth. And I just started worshiping the Lord for who He is. And then I started speaking in tongues. When I understood that I don't have to have Him, but He already got me. And this is what the Holy Spirit wants to tell especially a few of you here today. It's not about you acquiring everything, anything. It's about you let it go and allow the Holy Spirit to take over. Hallelujah. You see that, that came from heaven somewhere. Hallelujah. Let me close with this illustration. 
I got 11 minutes to go. I read some time ago, um, this experience that C.S. Lewis had, right? It was a sunny day in Oxford, and um, he loved his garden. And he, went, he was doing something in his garden and went to his shed. It was a sunny day outside, a lovely day. And he went into the, his shed. And as soon as he got into the shed, the door of his shed closed behind him. And then all of a sudden, he stood up in a dark room. And you know, sheds, you know, they are not the most sophisticated buildings, right? So you have gaps, and you can see through the wood, the panels. So he says that he was in, dark, in that dark room, and then a ray of light came through the top of the, of the door. There was a gap, and there's this ray of light. And he was in the side, and he could see the ray of light coming through, and all the particles of dust make it very clear. A huge column, if you like, or ray of light. And he was in the side, and he could see the ray. He could see the door, the light coming through the door, illuminating part of the floor and the wall in the other side. And God spoke to him. And he was outside, and he says, I could give you all the measurements of that light. I could tell you where the light was coming from, and I could tell you where the light was going to. From the dark, you can see the light, and you can talk about the light. I have met theologians that they talk about the light, and they give you all the important factors and literal criticism and exegesis about them, and the Hebrew and the Greek. And they're talking, uh, they're very eloquent about how the light is. But C.S. Lewis did an experiment. And all of a sudden, he stepped into the light and put his eye where the light was coming. And then he says, when I stepped into the light and I was looking through the light, the dark room disappeared. I could see through the top of the door and I could see the sky clouds, I could see birds and trees. This is what God is saying today. It's not about how eloquent or knowledgeable we are about the light. It's about us stepping into the light. Because when we step into the light, our dark room disappears and we see how God sees we see his creation. The Bible says, for us to focus and look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The Bible describes Jesus, one of his names is the son of righteousness. That's why the Bible calls us eagles. We are eagles. And we are supposed to open our wings and, because the eagle is the only animal from the animal kingdom that can look straight into the sun. I mean, we can't, can we? I mean, when it's very bright, you cannot look. The eagles can. And this is what God is encouraging us to do, to look at him. It's not about theology. It's not about books. It's not about a, a, a logical understanding. That's, that's the Greek mentality. When we talk about knowing something, we, we think about this, haven't we? 
But the Hebrew mentality says, and Adam knew his wife. It's an experience. It's an experience from the heart that involves your spirit, your will, or your soul, and your body. The, 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 the experience. And God doesn't want us only to have a, a wonderful, evangelical, biblical knowledge of who He is. He wants us to experience Him. You know why religion today is so off for so many people? Because that's what they have heard all their lives. Talking about the light. But not living in the light. And I think this time for the church of the Lord, for you and me, to step in the light and allow people to see what the light can do. Hallelujah. Lord, hallelujah. Lord, I pray that everyone here today, everyone hearing this message, even years down down the road that your Holy Spirit will, will touch his or her heart about the importance of living a real life the adventure the adventure of living in your light Lord we don't want to be like those hobbits accommodated in their lovely houses and lovely gardens we want to step out into the adventure as Christians, Lord, we can stay in our long chairs and enjoying the scenery, enjoy the beauty that you have created. There's nothing wrong with that. But we just sometimes want to stay there. Just like Peter said, oh, Lord, why don't we do three tabernacles here? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And we just stay up here in the mountain. Remember that story, the transfiguration experience? But Lord, you have not called us to stay up there. You have called us to be, to be set aside, but to go into the world and to preach the good news, to shine your light. Matthew says, shine the light that is, in with, that is within you so others may see and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, for so long we have tried to convince people about the light. It's difficult because they're outside and outside is shiny. So we have to get them into a dark room, and that doesn't look very attractive. That was our experience, not theirs. But it's not about talking to them about the ray of light. It's about them stepping into the light, the light being God. The Bible says that He's light, that there's no shadow in Him. There is no, there's no modification. There is no, he's not affected by anything. He is light. He's pure light. He is the creator of light. Genesis 1.3 says, Let there be light. And there was light before even the sun was created. God is light. And if we see things around the world today, galaxies and stars, they're only a reflection of who God is and what God can do. Not the opposite. It's not that God possesses light or has the ability to control light. He is light. Like He is love. God is love. So Lord, I pray 
I pray, Lord, that this message will challenge each and every one of us, Lord. Me being the first. Lord, that we acknowledge that it's not about our knowledge. It's not about how much we can talk and speculate and lecture about that ray of light. But Lord, help us to step in it and help us to experience you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, we love you and we need you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. I love you. God bless you. Thank you very much.